Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I'm Connie, along with the star of Bethlehem herself, Meg. This is episode 10 the holiday disappearance of Joanna Yates. And I'm going to let Meg take over because I have no idea anything about this case. Merry Christmas week. Merry Christmas. I hope your Christmas or whatever holiday you're celebrating will be much more joyful than the story I'm about to tell you. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so in 2010, Joanna Yates, lovingly called Joe by her friends, Oh, I love that. I always wanted a nickname like that. Joe. Yeah, Joe. just like one syllable. I got, yeah. I got that, but I had to give it to myself later in life. Yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> I remember when you rebranded yourself and I was like, man, that's awesome. <laughs> rebranded. I did. I rebranded myself. Anyways, 2010, Joanna eats Joe. She was young and vibrant. She was a successful 25-year-old that suddenly went missing. On December 17th, 2010. Yeah. Her sudden disappearance was especially shocking because she had a very loving, supportive family. She was in a healthy relationship. She had a steady career that she worked incredibly hard for. And everyone that knew her was distraught that she had seemingly just vanished. So it's like there were no no side. There was nothing that can be like, oh, well, she has this side job of this. Yeah. Or she's got an abusive boyfriend. Yep. Their devastation turned to horror when her body was found three miles away from her home on Christmas Day. Oh, you just got right to it. I just, you're going to have to hear the rest of the story, though, because it gets wilder than just finding her body, I guess. So when her body was found, the website that had been set up by Joe's friend displayed a message. This will be a terrible day, no matter who this young lady is. Please save a thought for those who will not be having a Merry Christmas. And I just suggest that we all do the same, especially when we're listening to podcasts like this. Remember, we've got it pretty good if we can just sit around and listen to other people's true crimes. Yeah, you know, I think about that sometimes. I think about... It can always be worse. I think it may, it humbles you when you, well, obviously, like we have a podcast, so I'm humbled just be, because the we research can do that, that we do. Yeah. Like I can come home and I hug my babies every day and I, you know, I live my life and it's, yeah, be, being able to spend any type of time with your family, whether it's virtually, like we're, a lot of people are doing this year or just in general, it's a privilege denied to many. Yep. And there are no middle-aged white women doing podcasts about your death. You got it good, baby. So Joe was born on April 19th, 1985 in Hampshire, England. She went to a private school called Embley Park, which was like a day school slash boarding school. After she attended, she studied for her A-levels. And A-level stands for advanced levels. They're in the UK. They're school leaving qualifications. 
and they are taken by a lot of students in the UK. They typically pick three to four subjects and then take a few years to study for those tests. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting because that is schooling works a lot differently in the United States. She completed a degree in landscape design and horticulture and eventually received her master's degree in landscape architecture. So by 2010, she was 25. She was a landscape architect, which sounds like the coolest job of all time. Yeah. Um, That's like my husband's dream. (laughs) It's so like, just, you know, design these beautiful community spaces and make them awesome. So she and her boyfriend of two years, Greg Reardon, who was 27, they both worked for Building Design Partnership, which is a large interdisciplinary firm. And they have architects and designers and engineers and urbanists, and they all work on major community projects, among other things. Her boyfriend was also a landscape architect. And they worked together. Uh, They moved in together in 2009. But in 2010, they moved to be closer to their new jobs at this BDP, Building Design Partnership. And And he was nice. We like him. Yes. Yep. I know our first thought is always, the boyfriend did it. It's always the boyfriend. (laughs) Or the the husband. husband Or the lover. But in this case, their relationship was very lovely. Oh, wholesome content. I know. They had moved to this apartment, which was in this huge... Huge brick house. From the pictures, it looks like it's four stories tall. It's huge. And the bottom part of this house had been converted into two separate apartments. Um, The guy that owned the house lived in the upstairs. So Joe and Greg and their cat Bernard. Oh, I know. They lived in one of the downstairs apartment and another young couple lived in the other low apartment. And that other couple had lived there for 18 months. So in addition to working together, they surfed and did like sporty outdoorsy stuff and they loved to attending music music festivals. Oh, so they're like a really yeah, they're couple. yeah, at her funeral Greg said Joe was a beautiful woman in mind, body and soul. She would have achieved a great many more things in her life if she only was given the chance and I will always love her. Oh, so sad. I already don't want you to go on. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. So they just moved to this new apartment in October and we're going to just go ahead and fast forward to December. So it's shoop, shoop, shoop. Friday December 17th, and Greg leaves for the weekend to go visit his family up north. Um, He and Joe were going to spend Christmas together as a couple for the very first time, and they were going to go up to Scotland for New Year's Eve. I don't know why when you said up north, I thought Canada. (laughs) (laughs) They're just going to go up to Canada. Wrong north. That's our north, not theirs. Um, Scotland. (laughs) I think he was probably going to visit his family for the weekend to get like family time in before he and Joe had their first holiday together. Do you think he was going to propose? You know, now that you mentioned, I hadn't thought that. But now that you say it, maybe. Mm. That's like the perfect time around family. And uh, Uh. in my head, that's what's (laughs) happening. So Joe was a little bummed that he was leaving for that weekend because it was going to be the first weekend in their new flat without him. But they were planning a Christmas party for the next week. So she was going to do some Christmas shopping and holiday baking over the weekend until he got home. So Friday night he is left, but she went out to a pub to hang out with 
friends from work and have a few drinks. And she did. Which we know from previous episodes, pubs are where people hang. <laughs> it's like, just a, a restaurant. It's not. Kids are in pubs. Yeah, she's, it said she had two ciders and she left around 8 p.m. to walk back home to her flat, which was roughly a 20 minute walk. But on her way home, she stopped at a couple of places. CCTV showed her stopping at a Waitrose, which is a grocery store. She left without purchasing anything, kept walking. And at about 8.30, she called her friend to talk about a Christmas Eve get together that they were going to have. And then at 8.40, there's surveillance footage of her getting a tomato, mozzarella, and basil pizza from a Tesco, which is my favorite pizza, by the way, in case anyone cares. Um, And then she stopped at a liquor store called Bargain Booze to buy two bottles of cider, which I think they were like the bigger bottles. Okay. Like, I love the name of that place. (laughs) Bargain Booze. (laughs) That's where I would go for sure. So she bought two bottles of cider before she continued to walk home to their flat. And she did make it home. Oh. Yep, she made it home. Sunday, December 19th, two days later, comes around and Greg returns home to the flat at 8 p.m. But Joanna isn't there. And he tried to text her and call her on Saturday, but she never answered, which wasn't out of character for her. I'm not sure if she's just like the type of person who doesn't always have their phone on them. Yeah, or if she's just really busy and gets sidetracked. But it wasn't weird that she hadn't talked to him on Saturday on her phone. Okay. So he was also a little surprised when he got home because their cat Bernard acted like he hadn't been fed. Oh. So he kind of waited around for Joe for a little bit, but eventually he was like, okay, I'll just call her. And he was shocked to hear her phone ringing in the flat. Oh, no. Never a good sign. It was in the pocket of her coat that she obviously wasn't wearing in the middle of a very cold, snowy December. He also found her purse and her keys. They're also still in the flat. So he waits until about midnight and he calls the police and Joanna's parents and reports her missing. Investigators piece together that Friday night and they search her apartment. So they find the receipt for her pizza, but there's no pizza and there's no box. They find one of her bottles of cider has been half consumed and the other one is completely unopened and there are no signs of a struggle or forced entry. So she just has disappeared. Nope, don't like that. By Monday, December 21st, there are still zero clues as to what has happened to Joanna, other than that she might have been abducted and maybe knew her abductor. So are they thinking, was there any, I mean, obviously her family, her boyfriend knew she wasn't just like going to run off, but did the police ever think that? No, they didn't think that because she had this stable job and it was, she didn't show up to work on Monday and that was incredibly unlike her. they, everyone was- Oh, missing. and she lost, or she left all of her stuff, yeah. too. Yeah, so everyone was like, something is wrong. And everyone got to work looking for her. That Monday, her parents- her brother, boyfriend, they made a public plea for her safe return during a police press conference. And they begged that she get in touch. They were sobbing. They were saying that they loved her so much. And her brother was passing out leaflets and putting up posters. They were asking, please just let us know you're okay. And this was only 10 years ago. No, it's not that far. <laughs> it's not that far when you think about it. Her friends set up a site and they set up social media accounts so people knew that she was missing and they could get any information they needed. The investigation they had done over there was called Operation Braid, and it was one of the largest police operations undertaken in the UK ever. Oh. 
Yeah. The investigation was composed of over 80 staff members, including detectives, forensics, anything. Wow. Yeah. People just stuffing envelopes, making calls. Tons of people were looking for her. And because of this, there was intense media scrutiny, probably because she was pretty and young and sensible and she disappeared. So that week, so we were on the 21st, just throughout the week, her family continued to make statements, just begging for her to return. Her dad said, if it turns out she isn't alive, I still want her back. We still want to hold her one last time. Oh, I'm going to cry. And the next day... Christmas morning, her body was found. On December 25th, a couple was walking their dogs near a golf course after opening presents that morning, and they came across the fully clothed body of a woman who police identified as Joanna Yeats. She was covered with snow and leaves, and she was laid in front of a four-foot stone wall that separated a sharp drop into an unused quarry from the road. But her blood was found on top of the wall, so it kind of assumed that the killer had attempted to put her over the side of the wall but was unable to oh like he wasn't strong enough yeah her dad told press that they had been told to prepare for the worst but they were just relieved that she had been recovered at all yeah so what happened uh yeah what the hell and on christmas like not even just for her family but the people that found her yeah (laughs) christmas is ruined for everyone so it had snowed a lot in that week, and her body was frozen. Post-mortem examination results took a while to come back. She was so frozen that initially they could see no visible signs of injuries on her body. Oh my god. Police were like, maybe she just froze to death. Maybe someone like took her and threw her out here. But it was inevitably determined that she had been strangled to death several days before her body was recovered. She also never got to eat that pizza. It was now in her stomach, and there was no evidence of sexual assault. But she had suffered 43 injuries. Wait, what? Yep, including wounds to her face, throat, and arms. The injuries were like cuts and bruises. Her nose had been broken. Though her jeans had not been tampered with, her t-shirt had been pulled up above her breasts, and part of her right breast was exposed, and one of her socks was missing, and they thought, that he probably took it as a trophy. That's disgusting. Yeah. I gave away that it was a he, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> we all assumed. I <laughs> I did assume. But sometimes I like to be surprised. <laughs> Wine oh. me and dine me first, Meg. <laughs> so her boyfriend, Greg, was ruled out as a suspect very quickly. Oh, yeah, I would think so. Yeah, they searched his phone, they searched his computer, they searched everything, and they were just like, you didn't do it. So they treated him as a witness and interviewed several other witnesses. A woman at a party near Joe and Greg's apartment recalled hearing a scream around 9 p.m. Ah, I hate that. (laughs) Another neighbor heard a high-pitched help me around that same time. They lived downstairs, and there were two downstairs apartments, right? Yeah. And a man that lived upstairs. So the couple who lived next door was interviewed and the man, Vincent, who lived there, told police that he didn't know his neighbors yet because he had been in California for work when they moved in, which was true. And he had been home Friday night but left to go pick up his girlfriend, Tanya, from a work party, which his girlfriend confirmed. And by the end of that weekend, so by Sunday, Tanya and Vincent had left to spend Christmas and New Year's with Tanya's family in Amsterdam. So it was like a quick turnaround for them to be there. Okay. And this left their landlord, Christopher Jeffries. On December 30th at 7 a.m., police arrested Jeffries, the landlord that lived above the couple. He was taken in for questioning and his home was searched 
while he was held at the police station because he's the prime suspect. He's home. Yeah. You, with only this other person, seemingly. And they said that she would have known who it was. There was no forced entry. There was... Yeah. And the community was desperate for answers. Like, this is a very scary yeah. situation. So the press honed in on him very quickly. And they were like, this guy is obviously guilty. Oh, I hate that. He was... That makes it hard for yeah, everyone. He was a retired school teacher who taught English. And I think probably like everyone's English teachers, he was a little odd. Yeah, and I love him a little eccentric. Yeah, he looked very eccentric. He had wild hair and he lived completely alone. And I <laughs> I believe the correct term for what the media did to Mr. Jeffries is like trial by media. Oh, yeah. Ta- tabloids immediately were publishing his picture with headlines like Peeping Tom. That makes it. And Strange Mr. Uh, Jeffries. And like pupils were coming forward and talking about how he was creepy and he was a fan of like violent avant-garde films so i'm gonna go on a tangent just for a second about this kind of stuff because this one i i don't know if he was guilty or not but this can make or break a prosecution's case because a defendant can easily a defense attorney can take that and get multiple you know mistrials and every if if it's that big of a deal and also and you guys just messed it all up and people can be eccentric without being murderers i think of i myself (laughs) yeah i was trying to think of a polite way to say like me because i know i say and i do things that are kind of you're like wait what and i know that the way i say things is very blunt and weird to some people yeah like when you ask the doctor how hard it was to pull out an eyeball (laughs) yes and i have on multiple occasions i have talked about wanting to be present for an autopsy that I think it would be cool <laughs> to be there to do one and how I wish I would have been a mortician and too late. <laughs> you could still you could still do that if you wanted yeah but at that point I think I have too many ticks against me if something ever <laughs> pops off around me I'm going to jail you're going down but we see this a lot in, in the age of social media we live in such a cancel culture where people are guilty until they're proven not we see it a lot yes there are times when the when exposes and things they do give victims testimony flawlessly and it is something that needed to be said especially like during the whole me too movement but we've also seen that seen the opposite side of that where people are being crucified and they're not guilty so that's my tangent just no you're right you're absolutely right if you don't have all of the facts if you don't know keep your damn mouth shut because you could ruin somebody's life especially in 2020 when everything is searchable names are searchable if you go to jail people can look you up it's those type of things those records stay and it's not just those people if they ever have kids, those type of things follow their kids as well. So you just got to think about other people. And they, the police did that. They just kept taking all of these things that people were saying and just like finding excuses to hold him. And they held him until January 1st. Oh my God. And they released him because he was innocent. He did not kill Joanna Yeats. He also ended up filing libel suits against all of those press outlets. And he so collected is that, a healthy sum of money. Is that common in the UK? Because like my UK tab, British tabloids, the extent of my knowledge comes from everything with Harry and Meghan and the crown. So I'm not too <laughs> no, versed it, in it. That's pretty. Um, but I feel like wrong. the British. Yeah. yeah, the British tabloids have such a bad rap. And I can if this is the kind of stuff well, I they I are very because 
because the UK is so it's small compared yeah. to the United States, you know, so everything is closer and it can go out quicker. So yes, there are a lot of big assumptions made more quickly. I feel I, like it's all a bunch of national inquirers. Like that's what it, that's what like, it feels like. Yes, I agree. Like when you say tabloid too, you get that image in your head of like, yeah, national like the, the star, the, like all of those. Yeah. So that boy, and they're all named things like that too. All yeah. Oh, my heart hurts for him because I know that no matter you can get as much money as you want and the money can help you sleep at night but you cannot and that's what he once said. it's he out there you can't repair times. the reputation like, I didn't need that money but they took like years of my life away because I couldn't yep. live normally no you're always going you're on. gonna have that stigma it's just it sucks yeah However, because the media was so quick in deciding that he was guilty and he was the murderer and this was the guy, it caused the actual murderer to implicate himself because he wanted to frame that guy. He Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Vincent Tabak, the neighbor that had never met Joanna or Greg, was the murderer. What? Yup. How? What? Okay. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. I was like, oh, oh he went on a little he went on a little holiday with his girlfriend and it's fine. Oh, okay. This is like a this that is like an SVU reaction episode. <laughs> bad. Um, okay, so Vincent was a 32-year-old Dutch engineer and he had lived and worked in the UK since receiving his PhD in 2007. And I'm really sorry that I keep talking about like different doctors that are murderers. I just think it's really yeah. fascinating. <laughs> When like well-educated people are also murderers, that just like blows my mind. I have a whole, that's a different tangent for, I have a whole theory on that. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it on Friendsmas. Don't fit into normal society. So yeah. Yeah, I can't, I can't talk about it on a podcast because it's some of the, it, I feel like it could get me canceled. So <laughs> Okay, well, I don't want to offend anyone. We don't want you canceled. He was visiting family in the Netherlands, which is where Amsterdam is, uh, when he saw on the news that Jeffries had been arrested on December 30th. So he called the police because he decided it would be his chance to frame someone else for this murder. Tabak told them, the police, that he had seen their landlord out in his car on the night of Yitz's death. And so the police sent a detective to Amsterdam on New Year's Eve to talk to him. And the detective spoke to Vincent at a hotel near the airport for six hours because the information that he wanted to discuss was suspicious and he was not playing it cool at all. (laughs) Like, he's... A big dummy. Because they did talk about Jeffries, but he was so interested in the forensic examinations of Eats' body. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, he was like, he wanted to know, oh, well, what what do you find? Well, what do you look for? What What's happening when you're doing- Some people, they get off to that a second time. They're like, yeah, tell me all about it. Well, so he was just- casually suggesting to this detective that he had been in and around Joe's flat while speaking with Jeffries, their landlord, but never while Joe and Greg lived there. And so the detective was a detective and she <laughs> Good was Good old like, police work. She was like, oh. She? Yeah, she. The detective was a she. <laughs> she was like, well, it. we should take a DNA sample and fingerprint samples so we can eliminate you as a suspect. Just Atta in case girl. they find any evidence against you. Did he do it? Did he do it? Yep. 
He was weird about it, but he did it. Dummy. Yeah. You fell for it. Tricked him. He also gave a different version of events that had happened versus his initial statements to the police when they knocked on his door that night. Before, he said he had been inside all night and only left to pick up his girlfriend from this party. But now, he said that, yeah, he had went outside twice. Once to take a picture of the snow and once to go to the store. Never seen snow before? (laughs) Well, okay. You know when it's like snowing and it's pretty, you want to take a picture. I get it, but you- I'm not getting it for this one. You never seen snow before? (laughs) Never seen snow before? So the detective went back to the UK and that's the next day Jeffries was released. And Tabak knew he was going to get busted. He said he was expecting to be arrested as soon as he crossed over the border back into the UK. Um, But when he returned home on January 2nd, nothing happened. He started drinking really heavily and taking sleeping pills, hoping he wouldn't wake up. He considered jumping off of a bridge. Yeah, really. A coward. That's exactly what he is. But he wasn't actually arrested until January 20th. Wait, what? When DNA evidence linked him to Joe's body. What a dummy. I know. He's an idiot. I love DNA. He immediately went on the defensive, too. He was said that the lab tests were faulty and that maybe a scientist had been paid to set him up. It's like no name engineer in the middle of England. Yeah. Nope. Not happening. Who are you? The evidence determined that was a lie. Yep. So, leading up to that murder, Tupac... He had been viewing, you guessed it, violent porn of women being bound, gagged, choked, and police found images of a woman who looked very similar to Joanna in a very suggestive position, the same position her body was found in. What, are we taking it back to the other Baton Rouge killer? Like, (laughs) what is it with these guys in this violent porn? So here's the thing. Get a freaking hobby. Prosecution couldn't include this in their case because the judge believed that it didn't prove premeditated murder. So when he was on trial, the jury never heard about this part of his like life. Really? Yes. So more than a month after he murdered Joanna Yates, Denzel Spock was charged with murder. But he claimed it was manslaughter, and his trial didn't begin until October 4th, 2001. What? So like 10 months later. Do you think that's a difference between the UK and the United States? Because I feel like in the United States, whenever there is any type of video games, violent movies, porn, that they can link to it as a reason is like, this is why I do it. Yeah, it's I didn't know. It's the first thing thrown out. When I was reading about this, I didn't know that that was even an option. So I don't know if it's up to the judge because it said the judge wouldn't let them include that in there. Strike that. That's not part of this. Because Yeah, I'm not which, familiar I enough mean, with the judicial you, process. England for like not letting people's kinks <laughs> tie them to murder, even if they... Yeah, I'm not one to kink shame. <laughs> but we've said before. We don't kink shame. But there's just something to me about the that type of porn. I Like, we when we talked, we did the bad, that episode with Sean Vincent Gillis. I didn't even know that porn existed. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. So he claimed, the Vincent claimed that, that killing was not sexually motivated, even though her body was found like that. Yeah. And he told the court that he had killed Yeats while trying to silence her after she screamed when he tried to kiss her which is still like rape dude <laughs> okay you come at me trying to kiss me i'm tasing you <laughs> do you have a taser i can neither confirm nor deny that i can't give people <laughs> what if, I can't. you're gonna make me miss out on an opportunity to taste someone <laughs> <laughs> taste first apologize later <laughs> it's my motto 
So he claims that Yeats had made a flirty comment and invited him to drink with her. And when she screamed after he tried to kiss her, he held his hands over her mouth and around her neck to silence her. He denied that there was a struggle and said that he held her as gently as he could for only about 20 seconds. That's not true. I can hold my breath for 20 seconds. You know, that's wrong. What a dumbass. He then, he told the court that after, so he told the court that after dumping the body, he was panicked. But after he put Joanna in the trunk of his car, he went and bought beer and potato chips at the store and texted his girlfriend that he was bored. Are you shitting me? No. So she was in the trunk of his car. He was buying beer and chips and like texting his lady, so bored, can't wait till you get home. What a freaking psycho. Yeah. That's a special kind of monster. If you could just be like, well, just another Tuesday. Better get some Look potato at- chips. I go to the, go to, ah. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I know. So annoying. Do we, what is he, is he, what is his stature? He's six four. Oh. Him's a big dude. I pictured like Nisei Sagawa, like trying to. <laughs> like a four nine little man. No, he's like a big Dutch dude. So was he trying to put her over the wall? Because I would think he would be able to. I'm guessing that he like freaked out. I'm not sure why he couldn't fully lift her over that stone wall. Because he Maybe should have been big. able to. Yeah. Maybe and- he's big, but a weak little baby. Yeah, and honestly, if he had been able to, she would have never been found because the yeah. other side of that wall is an unused quarry. So she yeah. would have gone straight down and she might still not be found. Uh, I'm so, not that I, obviously I'm not, I'm for the, I always think of like the victim's families and for their peace of mind, I'm glad that he, for whatever reason, glad didn't was go a through little with bitch it. that couldn't get her up. Yeah, maybe it was that one bit of remorse. I don't know. Yeah, so an evidence was presented that he had tried to conceal the crime by disposing of her body. And Mm -hmm. the court heard that DNA swabs that were taken from Yeats' body provided a match to Tabak. And samples from like taken behind her knees of her jeans show that she was probably held by the legs while she was carried because it had fibers from tobacco oh, yeah. and car and then blood stains were found on that wall overlooking the quarry where she was discovered he had also searched on his computer the difference between murder and manslaughter are you serious he looked up the dif- definition of sexual assault how long it takes a body to decompose and when trash was collected in the area Areas around that. Yep. Mm. Yep. You had to do it. You had to implicate yourself because now it's premeditated. Like, yeah, exactly. And obviously, the prosecution is like, nope, that's wrong. His version, what he's telling you, is incorrect. So, what you're telling us is you're a liar. Yeah, it's pretty much. So, they suggested that he knew that she was going to be alone that night because their landlord had actually mentioned it to him. When he said he had talked to Jeffries around their apartment, he wasn't wrong. He did. And their landlord said that he was at a town for the weekend. And so, he knew his girlfriend was going going to a party that night and they suggested that maybe he stayed at home and waited for her intentionally because minutes after arriving, minutes after Joe arrived home, Tabak knocked at her door and began an attack in the hallway which is when the party goers probably heard her screams. And I wonder if the hallway was a kind of a mess. Not like her her apartment wasn't but the hallway was. And he continued his attack to attack her and he had scratches and marks on his arms. He says he doesn't remember how he got them. 
of course. Because she fought like hell. Yeah. Yep. And he took her into his apartment. Oh, there it is. Yeah. The prosecution believed that the attack was sexually motivated due to that hour missing between the time that Joanna was killed and when he put her in his car. But only Vincent knows what happens in that hour. She was not sexually assaulted, though. They did pull his DNA from her chest and it's assumed he wanted to act out his secret fantasies by choking her and masturbating on her. That's so disgusting. So gross. We see, like, we'll see that in other cases, too, where they think that's any better. It's like you're still gonna get the sex like you're it's still gonna be sexually motivated even if you don't physically yeah and she like, might not have or- been dead when he did that too he might have just like held her down or something i don't know oh I again that. only he knows i wonder how on top of like the slander and libel that the landlord had to endure i wonder the guilt that he has for just being like oh yeah she's gonna be home tonight by herself yeah so oh. after that hour whatever he put her in his trunk Went to the store and tried had to some potato of, chips like a douchebag. Yeah, and tried to dispose of her body around 11 p.m. Mm. He also ate her pizza. What? Yep, he said he ate her pizza. Okay, now you're just. I know. <laughs> I was like, do I really need to mention that? But I do because that. Yeah, that just hell. shows like what kind of shitty person he is. Like to top on it top- off, if you want a cherry on top of that shit milkshake, because- he had 145 images of child porn removed from his computer as well. Mm. Yup. Blah, blah, blah. I would say five minutes, 15 minutes with this guy, but he's 6'4", so maybe not. He'd probably still a piece of crap. You know what, though? I hate that... I think it's important to mention the pizza because it shows how like nonchalant he is about it. Yeah, and he like, said he like, said that he threw the box because the the police made a big deal about that in that week leading up to finding her body. They were like, "Have you seen this pizza? Have you seen this pizza box? We need to find it." Yeah, that's, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, and so because they thought they didn't know where, yeah, they didn't know what happened. He threw it in a public trash can, and that sock that they thought he kept as a trophy, he threw that in a public trash can with the pizza box, probably wherever he saw that the trash was getting picked up soonest. Yeah, I hate him. Yeah, he sucks. Is he in jail? What happened? news, October 28th, 2011, not even a month after his trial started, Vincent Tabak was found guilty of the murder of Joanna Yeats and was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 20 years. That's the one thing that drives me insane. (laughs) It's nuts. like About the UK. Minimum 20 years, but definitely life. I get it because I do believe in rehabilitation in some situations. I do believe if you're 15 and something, I do. I can't sit here and have like such a pessimistic outlook on the world where I think that any person that's in jail who is serving life in prison. It's just so strange to me. Like these dudes that have never done anything that have just like, yeah. they're just like, you know what I'm going to do? Wait for this girl and murder her. Well, in those situations, it's those thoughts have been building for years. Yeah. And I, it I, it was probably a crime of opportunity. He probably didn't sit back and plan it. It was like a... Like, this is what I'm going to do. Like, maybe I he have did the opportunity. try to, like, hit on her. And when it didn't go his way, he was like, oh, yeah. shit. Because some, some girls, all you need to be is tall. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, That's a... I'm joking to like make me less sad. You laugh to keep from crying. Yeah, I feel you. And after the last two cases, I feel you. Yeah. But you are right. When I was 16, if you were (laughs) over six foot... Wow. Are you cute or are you more than six feet tall? (laughs) I... 
On, I have like a couple people in mind where I'm like, oh yeah, you were tall. <laughs> oh yeah, you were just tall. <laughs> God, that sucks. I hope he is denied anytime he has tried to get out. Yeah. I, I wonder what his girlfriend thinks. Ex-girlfriend, I'm assuming. So apparently this was his first serious girlfriend. That makes sense. And he's 32, 33. And they said that her parents said that she was lucky that she escaped from this oh yeah absolutely crazy dutchman the flying dutchman <laughs> american oh well it says her she was u.s born so she was born in the u.s they started seeing each other in november 2008 and they met through a dating site stay off those uh i i don't want to say that because i know people who find their husbands and, their and wives love, on there and that's fine but be careful. Be careful. I guess one of her friends said that they were supposed to get married and like start a family that year. Mm. And she said her life, Tanya's life was shattered when she realized that this had happened. That's why I don't think. It's one of those things where they're hiding in plain sight because. Yeah, you. that's why we always say it'll have you questioning people. Because think of, it was the same way with Sean Vincent Gillis. His girlfriend was like, wait, what? Like I never had any idea that he was a serial killer. Yeah, and so even after he killed Joe, Vincent was like texting his girlfriend and like telling her how much he loved her and how he needed to talk to her. He said, I just wanted to reach out to Tanya to speak to her, to get support from here, hear her voice, anything. And she like ghosted that mf Good. Yeah. It's scary to think that you, and I'm sorry, right before Christmas when you're around all your family, I'm gonna put this thought into your head. It is crazy that you never know the deepest, darkest fantasies someone that you care about is having at any given time. Now I'm thinking about it. Yeah. (laughs) I like to think that you, I mean, you've been through a situation where I feel like you're pretty good at reading people now, like you're extra alert. And I think I'm a natural born skeptic of people. So I'm, I'm just assuming that's what you're thinking, even if it's not what you're thinking. So, but if you are like St. Karen, who's a nice person. If you're a nice person. If you're nice. uh, I know. Be careful on dating apps. Just exactly. Exhausting hearing hearing these stories. Um, yeah, so he sucked. Hopefully his ex-girlfriend has some closure and so does Joe's boyfriend. boyfriend. My heart hurts so but not that it doesn't hurt for like her parents. When but- you said like you think he was planning on proposing, yes. Now I do think that. Because all uh, of all of the stuff that he said, like in his interviews post murder, like there's one I read where he was talking, he said like she was my future and he was gonna propose. That's another thing that like really stresses me out about just like existing in the world because she did nothing that would have, I mean, it's not like she did everything normal and I know. she didn't know this guy. She did some random, we talked about it. She did a nothing few episodes wrong. Ago. Like she was gonna, she, yeah, uh, yeah, she just yeah, existed. We, we, we were talking about where it was like, uh, you never know whose eye you catch just existing. And that's exactly what happened. That's why you look mean everywhere. Look mean. Be nice, but look mean. Be nice, look mean. <sighs> God, that sucks. And I hate it. Doesn't make it find. It doesn't make finding a, a loved one's body any easier on any other day. But when it's a holiday or something like that, I yeah, feel like holidays in the, ruined forever. Yeah, and I. Never I mean, at some point, you have to start to kind of like. Yeah, you have to start like rebuilding your life, and it's just yeah, how. How do you do that? We'll see you guys next week for a New Year's Eve. We're going to end the year in typical 2020 fashion.
The year is ending. I can't wait. Peace out. But 2020. Everyone, hope you have happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. Merry, um, happy, wait, what is it? Festivus for the rest of us. Yeah. Festivus. If you celebrate Festivus for the rest of us, if you're a Seinfeld fan. You'd like to hear um, your grievances with us? Just shoot us an yeah. email. <laughs> if you want to, yeah, please do. We love to hear from you guys. Truly. We really do. Yeah, we like We really getting, love to hear from you guys. today hearing from some people. So thank you so much for saying what's up. Yeah, this was episode 10. So you guys have listened oh to 10 gosh. episodes. It's episode 10. That's so exciting. Yeah. I didn't even realize it when you said it at the beginning, but yay. Episode 10. So yeah, thanks for sticking with us. We love you guys. Happy holidays. That's it for today. Thank you all so much for listening to Gruesome True Crime with me, Connie, and Meg. We appreciate every single one of you. We truly do. If you actually like us and you're not just trying to seduce and murder us, you can follow along or see extras from the show on our Instagram at Gruesome Podcast. Or if you want to tell us our skin would make a nice lampshade or if you have follow-up questions about the episode, follow the form on our website, gruesomepodcast.com and email us. We love hearing from you guys. You can listen to Gruesome at the links listed on that website, or you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you normally get your podcast fill. Thank you again. Be sure to subscribe. Check your back seat before you get into your car. And remember that on Wednesdays, we're, we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. Bye.